Welcome to this episode of Back to the Point. I'm your host, Rick Goulding, and today on the pod, we have Nick Puglio, who's the Senior Director of Marketing and Communications for Stewart Healthcare's North Region. And we talked to Nick a little bit about his story, how he became involved in the world of marketing and communications, uh, and we also talked to him about what he's seeing. Um, he's on the ground every day in Stewart's uh, healthcare facilities, so he's seeing a lot of kind of what's going on in the front lines with coronavirus. Um, so we talked to him a little bit about that, and uh, we highlight some of the, the stories of hope and, and perseverance that he's seeing on a day-to-day basis because uh, I certainly think it's an important right now to highlight those and, and share those. So uh, that's who's on the pod. Um, wanted to give you a little update on, on what this podcast is going to look like during this stay-at-home time. Um, obviously, we were supposed to record a live podcast uh, at the school on Ignatian's Val- Ignatian Values Day on uh, March 13th. Um, that event was postponed and that was obviously the right thing to do given everything that was going on at the time and everything that is still going on. Um, once that event is back on, we will, we will definitely bring you that live podcast that we promised you. Um, but in the meantime, um, while we're all kind of staying at home, um, Mike O'Brien and myself talked about this and, uh, and we, we really think that, um, you know, it'd be good if we could continue to bring you guys uh, stuff to listen to while you're all at home. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna keep we're gonna keep doing the podcast and we're gonna keep uh, pushing out new episodes. Uh, we're gonna do some helpful ones that uh, talk about um, you know, for example, maybe some uh, home workouts that you can do and some some of the things that the athletes uh, at BC High right now are doing to stay in shape and stay ready for um, their seasons when, when those start up again. Um, and then we might, we might just do some entertaining ones, some, uh, some episodes that will make you smile and um, give you some interesting stuff to listen to. So we're going to keep doing this. Um, on that note, if there are folks that you'd like me to talk to, um, if there are uh, stories or, or things you'd like me to highlight or things obviously that I can do better, um, you know, please let us know. Back to the point at bchigh.edu is our email. You can get in touch with me at rickgoulding3 on Instagram, uh, at bchigheeagles on Instagram. Um, just, you know, reach out, get in touch, let us know what you think and what we can do uh, to make this, um, to make these pods interesting, helpful, et cetera, for you. Uh, by the way, I, I am bringing this uh, episode to you uh, using one of the many online platforms that are available to record with guests remotely. That's how we recorded with Nick. Um, so uh, we're still getting used to it. So if there are any hiccups in the sound or anything like that, my sincere apologies. Uh, we're working on it. We're getting better at it. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully this, hopefully this works well. Um, last but certainly not least, uh, we want to dedicate this episode to all the medical professionals who are on the front lines of um, fighting the coronavirus. Uh, you know, I can't imagine what it's like to suit up every day and to kind of go to your job knowing that you're, you're essentially putting yourself at risk, but you're doing it so that other people will be okay. Um, it's a, just an incredible act of selflessness. And um, I'm grateful. I, I can assure you that many of the people in my life and, and I assume many of the people in the pod who listen to this podcast are extremely grateful. So if you are a medical professional in any capacity who 
continues to go to work and fight this thing and, and help, um, help treat folks who have it, uh, or, or even ones that don't, even if you're not directly treating it, but you're part of an ancillary service, but you're still putting yourself at risk. We just wanted to dedicate this episode to all of you. Um, thank you for everything that you do. Uh, you know, obviously this is, we, we won't ever be able to thank you enough. So thank you. This episode is for you. Let's talk to Nick. Okay, we are here early on a Friday morning. Uh, we have uh, we have the great pleasure of being able to talk over a uh, over a, a digital uh, platform with Nick Julio. Um, he's graciously taken time out of his busy schedule uh, as the senior director for marketing and communications uh, in the Northeast region for Stewart Healthcare. Um, we're 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 very grateful to you, Nick. Um, how are you doing this morning? I'm good. Happy to speak with you. Thank you. No, I, I appreciate it. I know that uh, you must be busy right now and, and uh, you know, folks, folks have a lot going on in general. Um, where I'd like to start today uh, is, um, I, I, so you're, you're involved in the communications field and, and you're working for Seward Healthcare. I was hoping that you could tell us a little bit about, um, let's start with what you do now. So what does your day-to-day -day look like in that job? And, and um, you know, what does it mean to be the marketing director, the communications and marketing director uh, kind of in your position? Sure. So uh, my role as director of marketing communications is to oversee all of our marketing, advertising, and communications for the Northeast region. And communications covers both uh, media relations, internal communications, web communications, the whole uh, suite of options we have at our disposal. And uh, part of my role is to ensure that uh, our staff are adequately communicated with, that we communicate uh, with the community, and that we uh, manage uh, the message about the company and its reputation in the public realm. So <clears throat> it's busy. I think part of what I like about the job and in and, and communications in general is that there really is no day-to-day. -day. So it could range from uh, staffing media interviews to writing web copy uh, to helping uh, oversee one of the local marketing directors at one of our hospitals, work through an ad campaign. So day-to-day, um, -day, the actual tasks um, are always changing. There's no set day. I think overall, the main focus is on telling good stories. So what is the story of Stewart Healthcare in the Northeast? And how do we bring its mission to life in a way that people can understand and that we engage patients? Gotcha. And, and what would you say, you know, obviously there, now there are kind of more modes of communication than maybe ever before in history. I mean, we have, we have so much at our disposal to communicate and to tell a story. Uh, you know, podcasts, for example, being one of those uh, media. Um, what would you say, you know, currently is your biggest challenge to kind of uh, effectively communicating and, and telling a story um, out to the larger world in the community? I think from an audience perspective, the biggest challenge now 
that you see regardless of platform is just audience attention. Um, you, there is there are millions of pieces of content, uh, whether it's podcasts like this or social posts um, being created every minute uh, on the web. So I think the biggest challenge for communicators is to develop content that engages your audience mm -hmm. and puts your content in front of them in the right way at the right time. So a lot of it, um, and before coming to Stuart, I was a, a communications consultant with uh, Weber Shanwick, which is a global PR firm. And clients would ask this all the time. And I think the biggest thing is to really know your audience. So before, before picking a channel or picking a medium to know uh, the demographic, psychographic characteristics of your audience so you can dig in and pick the appropriate platform for them. And, and a lot of this information is at hand. So knowing that um, Facebook skews heavily um, towards women in the 30 to 50 range will help you if you're, if you're creating a product of that nature to appeal to that audience, you would know that Facebook is your preferred channel. Um, so it's really figuring out and knowing your audience and what they want and then backing into channels from there. And I think the biggest challenge is to try to one, figure that out, but two, also understand that you cannot be everywhere. So there's new social platforms popping up all the time in addition to the ones that people know about. And I think it's figuring out, again, going back to your audience and getting really good at a couple channels and then figuring out how from there to expand to meet the audience needs. Gotcha. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so the, I know that you've worked in a number of capacities uh, in the communications uh, mm -hmm. realm of things. And uh, for example, you worked for BC High for a period of time. Uh, you, uh, you worked for um, the Massachusetts Teachers Association. You know, you've, you've been uh, helping uh, organizations communicate uh, effectively for quite some time. What would you say is um, kind of different and interesting about communicating and, and marketing in the healthcare space um, as opposed to maybe some of the other areas that you've worked in before? I mean, the root of all of them, regardless of organizations, is to tell good stories and share information that your audiences will find helpful and relevant. I think part of when you look at healthcare, there's just so many constituencies. Mm -hmm. um, you are caring for the young and the old. Uh, you are driving into communities uh, with their specific needs. So uh, part of uh, why I chose Stewart Healthcare in, in moving to a new role uh, was really the focus on community and being able to look at um, the provision of healthcare at community hospitals, and we're a company of community hospitals, uh, to try to figure out what is what are the stories uh, that can drive um, community health that engage people uh, in a way that they understand, and that can also connect them to the services that are that are available to them close to home. So, um, I, I think the biggest challenge for healthcare is just the the very very broad range of audiences from again, the young, the old, to doctors, to nurses internally. Um, there's just a lot of people who have a stake um, in these community hospitals. Gotcha. That, I mean, that makes, makes a lot of sense. Uh, what would you, in terms of um, communicating 
now and today, uh, what would you say is the most effective tool at your disposal in, in terms of getting your message out and um, you know telling that story? I think it depends on the audience. I think the the challenge is um, is really cultivating your tools. So. Um, it's a little like a garden. If you don't, if you don't tend for it, if you don't water and care for it, it it's not going to grow and it's not going to produce anything for you. So I think it's, um, you know, for us, we do a lot on the web. Uh, email is still uh, highly effective with a number of our patients. So um, it, the the focus is less on the channel and more on figuring out where is the place that our audiences will go and then how do we continue to cultivate that so they look to us for information mm -hmm. um and part of that goes back to trusting credibility um and and i think cre trust and credibility are, are the really key tenants in the current field of communications because there's a lot of noise out there and i think that if you can get in a place where your audience trusts you and you are a credible voice in the field the communication channel doesn't matter as long as the audience is able to get there, but to figure out how do you continue to be a relevant source of information. Um, and that takes focus and it takes a lot of effort, but I think um, that that's really um, the biggest task. Gotcha. And I don't know if that answered your question or not, Rick, but like, I think, I think that is, um, uh, you know, I think that, that that's the trick right now. Yeah, no, it makes again that that makes total sense. The what I was what I guess I would ask you as a follow up is, um, how how do you build that credibility and trust? Um, you know, obviously you're, you're not you're you know you Nick Polio aren't going out into these. Well, maybe maybe you are to a certain extent, but I, I don't think you probably have time to go out into each one of these communities and. Uh, you know, kind of show your face and sit down with folks and connect with them maybe on a human to human level every day. Um, but what would you say is is kind of the most important way in terms of build how to build that trust and that credibility? Um, you know, how do you go about that? And um, a second piece of that question I would say is, how do you deal with uh, instances where maybe your credibility or trust as an organization uh, took a hit for whatever reason, you know, how do you recover from that and rebuild it? Sure. Um, so I'll take the first one first. I think definitely um, as a, a company, uh, Stewart Healthcare, we have hospitals across Eastern Massachusetts and doctor's offices even further. Um, and then we're, we're national as well. Um, but beyond that, I think for companies in general, um, a couple key tenants of, of credibility are one, sticking to what you know um, and, and really leveraging the expertise within the organization to provide useful information. Um, I think also authenticity is key. Uh, so if you are talking about, um, you know, messaging that, that doesn't feel natural to your organization or it's a message that um, it can be surprising, but if it doesn't fit with your mission and your values, um, I think people people's uh, sniff test is pretty high these days, um, and that's where places will fall short. Um, I think a lot of it uh, too is is putting a human face on it. So as a company with community hospitals um, and with 
clients I've worked with in the past who are national organizations. Um, it's not my face that people want to see. I'm, I'm just kind of the orchestra conductor. Um, the faces that the people want to see. <laughs> sorry. No, no, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, who doesn't want to see your face? Come on now. <laughs> I, I, I probably could come up with a pretty long list. Um, that's, this is why we're doing a podcast, right? Um, <laughs> but um, I, I think that um, look, the, the, there's credible sources in the community so that the closer, you made a great point about the human connection, uh, the closer you can get to who their communi com human connection is in the community, the better. Um, mm -hmm. So I think those are a couple key points. And then I'm sorry, I'm blanking on your second question. No, no, you, no, it's all good. <laughs> I need no, a. I, I I have a tendency to ask long-winded questions, so I apologize. The um, I asked. Well, we're we're a good match because I give long-winded answers. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> this is great content, folks. We are rolling. Um, the, uh, <laughs> uh, I asked when you know in instances where for whatever reason. Um, your organization maybe takes a, a hit to its credibility just because something happens that maybe was beyond your control or maybe um, someone misspoke, et cetera. How do you recover from that? Kind of what's the, what would you say is the playbook for saying, all right, you know what, this is the situation. Let's get, let's try and get back some of that trust. Yeah. So I think for any organization, the playbook for crisis issues management starts before the actual crisis happens. So, um, Part one is to figure out, um, okay, what are the issues, knowing what our organization is, to assess uh, any potential vulnerabilities and to identify those vulnerabilities and plan for the likelihood that they may or may not happen. Um, two, in terms of preparation, I think um, to use a medical term is, is, is to really inoculate your organization in case something happens. So uh, for instance, it's, it's building that credibility that we talked about in the community uh, to have a clearly uh, visible mission statement and a, a statement about what your organization stands for uh, so you can fall back on that um, in the event that any crisis or issue should happen. When things uh, do happen, and, and for any uh, organization, whether it's BC High or Stewart Healthcare or, or um, any company out there, um, in today's media environment, today's social media environment, there's a high likelihood that any organization, regardless of how far off the radar they may seem, uh, might face a, a crisis or issue in the communications realm. I think the first part is always tell the truth um, and to work with people um, to uh, figure out what the truth is before you say anything publicly. Um, and I think it is looking back at your mission and your identity and falling back on that and trying to be transparent and honest about um, if you fell short um, to, to look and, and say that you will work on that. Um, we've seen that in instances um, in higher education um, in a lot of other places where there's been issues um, in the news over the last year or two. Um, and I think also is to figure out transparently um, as a company and as an organization um, what the root cause of that issue was. So you mentioned if people misspoke, that's a, that's a pretty easy um, correction uh, yeah. these days especially. And I think that um, unless it's a huge, huge gaffe on live TV, 
um, those are those are pretty easily addressed. I think um, you know bigger is is um, you know internal stuff that comes out that you may not want in the press. Um, those type of things is really having an understanding of of why it happened and what needs to be done. A big part of that uh, is, is having a communications partner at the table um, and to work through these issues, um, whether it be um, you know employee malfeasance or um, you know financial decisions made by the company. Um, having a communications partner at the table um, throughout the process helps because you can craft the message as you go. Gotcha. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, one of the things that I've always found, you know, it, whether it's big companies that, you know, have a data breach or um, whatever the case may be, whatever organization suffers some kind of misstep in, in the credibility and trust side of things, what I've personally always appreciated is 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 kind of when the the subject organization almost has a human moment. Obviously, it's not human, but but uh, kind of what you're saying in in terms of being transparent and and uh, acknowledging things, you know, they kind of say like, yeah, we know that this is we know that we know that we've made a mistake or we know what we've you know, where we screwed up or whatever the case may be. And they just kind of, they, they just, it's a moment of almost human vulnerability for an organization to say, yes, I messed up or yes, we messed up. I should say, um, here's what happened. Uh, here's how we're in, and here's how we're going to go about fixing it. Um, I just in tacking in, like you said, tacking back to that, that mission statement um, that is effective where, where, you know, the organization gets to say, here's, here's our mission statement or here's who we are. Here's where we messed up. Here's why it doesn't align with who we are. And here's how we plan to get back on track. I've, I've always found things like that very, um, you know, to the extent possible reassuring in the moment of, you know, uh, quote unquote crisis. A hundred percent. And and if you look back at some of the crises that have, have developed over the last couple of years, you know, it's, it's where people get into trouble is the um, cases where, Oh, we had a data breach and folks have had your credit card info for 11 months. We knew about it the whole time, but we're really working with our lawyers to trying to figure out what to say. Like th those are a challenge. I think the more you put yourself in, in a position where you need to explain things, um, the worse you are. Um, so I always say like, if we're explaining, we're losing, yeah, um, and, old, and it's uh, to really, to really, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say that's an old, I stole it from someone. Yeah. It's a good one. I mean, it makes sense. You know, you want to be on offense more than on defense. I'm, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, 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 it's fine. I think, um, so like, I, I think that's true, but also like part of it is not, when when you have an issue, it's not about, you know, you could have great debate points or great rationale for why you did everything. When, when you have a crisis situation, you just really, you're not trying to win the conversation. You're trying to end the conversation. So the, the more explaining you do, the longer it's just going to draw out. So if you just have a clear, concise, like, hey, we found about this, we're addressing it, we're doing it. You're still going to take a hit. It's just not going to be as painful. Right. Right, and and I guess I guess that's probably the goal. Well, one of the goals in 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 communi 
communications around crises is, is to shorten the period of, of pain and, you know, get people, get people kind of back on a, a level footing with you as quickly as possible. Yeah. And it goes back to offense, defense, like you'd much rather be on offense and not talking about the issues um, than having to explain why you did everything on and on and on. And that'll be my last sports metaphor because I was, I was in the band and have two left feet. So that's as far as I can go. (laughs) Well, actually let's, uh, (laughs) let's talk about, let's talk a little bit about that. That's a great transition. Um, How did, (laughs) maybe, so remind me what what class year you are out of BC high. Uh, BC high class of 2001. All right. Um, So why not, if you don't mind, why don't you take us a little bit through uh, maybe maybe a little bit about your BC High story, and then um, you know how how you got from there, from 150 Morrissey, to uh, to where you are today. Uh, sure, I I think at BC High, um, it, it's a pr- fairly neat story arc. I think um, you know I was in band and uh did 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 a play and did some other things uh, at bc high i think um always tended towards um and you can if if someone gets my transcript who's listening um always tended towards um uh more of like the liberal arts bent than than math or science but um i think that um at bc high uh always relished you know history um, government. I ended up uh, getting my uh, degree from Northeastern in political science, um, and and had uh, great experiences at BC High from, um, you know, Mr. Hughes in in history, Miss Keogh in government, uh, Mr. Shea in English, who I had multiple times and loved, Mr. Logan uh, for religion. I, I I could just go on for forty five minutes listing listing the the great teachers who made a difference in my life, but. Um, I, I think that a lot of what I learned on, on Morrissey Boulevard and the desire to work someplace that is mission driven, that is looking um, to make a difference um, really, really shaped where I'm going. And I think the other part of it is the love of, of telling a good story. Um, at some point along the way, I realized um, that that storytelling ability and that desire to be in front of people and engage with them um, w- was something that I wanted to guide my career in. While I'm not writing books or plays or in the arts, I think um, uh, the core of, of what a communicator does is tell good stories. So it just happens to be in a corporate setting most of the time. I gotcha. So, um, would you would you say that the uh, the kind of the the roots of your communications bent were uh, were kind of you know took hold in that those kind of uh, roles that you took on at BCI in terms of doing plays and things like that? Did, do you think that you had it kind of in you all the way back then, or or do you feel like it was something that that bubbled up later on? I think it bubbled up later on. I started my career um, out of college in, in government. Um, so I worked at the state and local government for a while. I think um, for me in those roles, um, it was exciting. It was a great learning experience. I think for me, um, 
you know, working with organizations to try to engage people more broadly um, has been more professionally fulfilling for me. Um, it took me a couple of years to figure that out after college, but I think that um, it, it bubbled up. I think it's been there all along, but it took me a while to really hone in on um, where I wanted to be in the, in the type of work that I wanted to be doing on a day-to-day basis. What, what was the most uh, influential kind of either role or, you know, event that made you realize that that's the direction you wanted to go in? That's a great question. I think, I think it was a gradual process. Um, you know, as I, as I transitioned, um, you know, I, I, you know, in government, uh, took on some communications roles as well. Um, I think moving into those roles where the need was, um, made me realize more and more that that, that was more of the sweet spot, um, other than, you know, the finance or policy side, uh, for me. Um, I still find those sides fascinating, but for me, um, in terms of professional fulfillment and where I think I add the most value, um, it, it's helping craft those messages and tell those stories. Got you. That makes sense. Um, well, I, I, I want to, um, transition a little bit here and I, I you know given that you're in the healthcare um, industry and you know I think uh, positioned as someone who's gathering information from you know multiple constituencies as you've talked about right now um, I want to talk a little bit about what's going on with coronavirus and I know that uh, I, for full disclaimer to everybody that's out there, uh, Nick is not a, a doctor, uh, a medical doctor. He is, uh, um, as we've talked about, he's in communications and marketing, but I do think that he's well positioned to um, talk a little bit about what, what he's seeing and some of the, the stories that he's hearing um, about the response to the coronavirus and what's going on. Um, so Nick, first and foremost, with with respect to uh, Stewart Healthcare and um, what they're doing uh, in response to coronavirus. They just did something uh, uh, kind of first in the nation um, with respect to their response. Maybe you could talk a little bit about, about what they're doing and also um, you know, what, maybe, maybe some of the decision, um, the deliberations that went into taking that step. Sure. Um, and thank you for the disclaimer. So I am um, just a kid with a political science degree. So this, this is this is given with that in mind. Um, so Stewart Healthcare um, began preparing for coronavirus um, back as reports started coming out of China in January um, about the spread of, of the illness and um, really started to take some concrete steps, including uh, stockpiling goods and services. Um, aligning staff, providing additional training. Um, but you mentioned um, also some of our, our physical changes. And uh, as a network, as a healthcare network, not just a hospital company, but a healthcare network of, of both hospitals and physicians and other providers, um, we really started looking at the science and the data behind um, in areas where COVID treatment was already taking place, what was successful what was not, and what was the best way um, to care for patients, um, many of whom, um, even if they test positive, uh, can care for themselves at home, 
um, but a, a startling percentage who get very, very ill um, and need acute hospital care. And one of the things that they found um, was that cohorting these patients and caring for them in a centralized location um, would decrease mortality rate and slow the spread of COVID-19. And so as a network of, of hospitals and providers, we were able to look at not just each site, um, but also what we could do to respond as a network. And part of that response, we designated Kearney Hospital in Dorchester as the dedicated treatment facility for COVID positive 19 patients with inpatient needs. So these are not people to care from home. These are uh, acutely ill people who are in need of inpatient needs, either because of COVID-19 or because of other comorbidities that, that they might need care for. So uh, we set up a structure whereby people needing that care uh, would be transferred from other hospitals in the Commonwealth, uh, other steward hospitals in the Commonwealth to Kearney Hospital uh, to keep the critical mass of patients in need of treatment there. Um, and then keeping our other hospitals uh, free and open for people who need other care. Because I think part of it as a, as a community care provider, we acknowledge that there, there's many health needs that are of great concern to folks that don't stop because of the pandemic. And we wanted to be able to best treat them and best treat the COVID-19 patients as well. And, and uh, Nick, just we, we talked a little bit before we hit the record button and um, you mentioned that this, this is kind of the first instance of a community health network doing this. In other words, designating a, um, a, a, a particular hospital as, um, as a, a centralized location to treat COVID-19. You mentioned that it was the first in the country. It is, and I think it, it's just part of, uh, you know, many organizations are looking at how to respond, and um, it, it is that I know uh, other other places are, are operating with um, alternative models, but we really think that this is this was the best model for our for our network. And and to the extent that you're able to share, um, have have you seen data um, kind of coming out of? uh the hospital to to kind of support the, the move that you guys made i mean you know i guess my question more or less is how how is that decision working out um what are you seeing in terms of that uh so i'm on the ground i'm, I'm in carney hospital every day um helping that team and, and helping them communicate um as well as working on the rest of the region but i'm, I'm there as a presence every day um i i think honestly as we're as we're seeing data come out of massachusetts um, we, we haven't hit the peak yet. Um, and so, you know, as testing comes back, as it continues to spread, I, I think even though there's a heightened anxiety and a heightened sense of what's going on now on, you know, March, March 27th, or, um, we, we have not yet seen the peak. So I think as we continue to move forward, um, this is an issue that's going to test everyone's technical capabilities and their abilities as providers. Um, and we'll, we'll continue to work from there. But, but as of right now, um, it's working. Um, but again, we're, we're still looking at a peak that's a couple weeks out. Gotcha. Um, I, I guess, uh, important, that's important to know. Um, what, what, I guess, 
you know, it's, this is, this is hard. Uh, I don't know about everybody else listening, but, um, you know, I kind of have, I kind of go day to day now with, with a little baseline of anxiety about, you know, what's, what's going to happen next, um, how long this is going to last, you know, what you just touched on, the, when's the peak going to hit, um, you know, how do I keep myself and my family kind of safe in this, in this times. But uh, I always appreciate when I, when I hear, you know, um, stories of hope and, and stories of, um, you know, kind of good news. Um, since you're on the ground in, in, in Kearney Hospital, I was wondering if you could kind of share maybe a couple stories of hope or, or, or things that you're seeing that are positive um, in the hospital, on the ground, um, to share with folks, uh, you know, who are listening. Sure. I think, uh, you know, a couple of, of clear instances for me are, you know, one, um, seeing the notes come back from patients uh, who have been treated either in the emergency department or, or somewhere else in the hospital, um, just thanking the hospital staff for, for what they do. And I think I, I'd be remiss if I didn't note that um, it's, it's the nurses and doctors every day that, that are giving that hope and providing that um, uh, care on the front line. And I think it's, it's, it's them that really deserves kudos beyond, beyond what I can do here. But um, it, it's seeing those messages of, you know, someone, you know, the doctor cared for me. They knew I was sick, but they, they did everything they could. They were so kind, even though, you know, obviously they were stressed. I think those are important. I think um, another one that I just, I just saw um, last night actually was, um, uh, since schools are out, uh, you know, there's a school uh, on the South shore that was doing, that did regular costume days for their, for their elementary school kids. And it was a great story in the Patriot ledger about um, this young boy who um, decided for superheroes day to dress up as his grandfather uh, who's an emergency room uh, physician at Kearney Hospital, and just seeing his picture of what he saw a superhero looked like um, is it w- was for me just really touching. And I think um, walking around the hospital and and, and seeing folks and and what they do um, is just truly inspirational. Because as I said, th- this is something that will test our technical um, expertise, but it's also something that. Um, to your point, Rick, is, is people are human. They're, they're bringing that anxiety and those fears with them to work every day. Um, but they are still, we talked a lot about mission. They're, they're still looking at that mission to, to care for the community. Um, and it's just, to see it is just really, really inspiring. That's, um, yeah, that, that, that's helpful to know that there are folks who are, uh, you know, who are doing that. And, you know, as much as much as it's human to you know, fear and have anxiety, you know, it, it's also, I guess, um, it's uniquely human to a certain extent to, uh, to persevere and to hope. Um, and, you know, I think as much as there's anxiety and, and, and um, concern out there, I also think that there's, uh, you know, there's just a, you know, a huge uh, wellspring of, stories of perseverance and hope and and like that little boy uh who dressed up as his grandfather uh, because he sees him as a superhero right now um you know stuff like that is just doesn't always bubble up um in some of the 
media, you know, that's available out there, uh, whether it's social media, you know, or otherwise. Um, but I do think it's important for folks to hear that because uh, to be honest with you, um, I appreciate hearing that stuff and, and to kind of always kind of hear about uh, the doctors and the nurses and the hospital staff who are, you know, going to work every day and, and giving folks, uh, you know, hope and, and human compassion, which, which is another kind of uniquely um, human element, um, I think is important. You know, I, the technical capabilities are important as well. And, and as you said, it's, it's going to test us, but it, you know, it, it, it has the potential as I understand it to also test some of those more human elements that are unique to us, you know, compassion, uh, hope, et cetera. But uh, it, it's always good to hear that folks are, are persevering and, and pushing through with, with all those things. Yeah, it's really, it's a, it's a, it's amazing. Well, um, Nick, thank you so much. I know you have a, I know you have a standing meeting coming up. Um, and uh, I, I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on today and giving us a quick update on, on the coronavirus, but also sharing a little bit of your particular story. Um, I really appreciate that. And, um, you know, if you want to come back on at some point as we work through this, I'd love to have you back on. Um, it was great talking with you. Um, thanks so much for joining us. Same here. And it's been a pleasure. And thanks, thanks for having me on. Great. Thanks so much. That wraps up uh, this episode of Back to the Point. Thank you to Nick for uh, swinging by, chatting with us. Much appreciated. Um, it was great to talk to you. So um, keep, keep doing what you're doing. Um, thank you to all of you for listening. Uh, really appreciate it. Like I said, we're going to be bringing you some more stuff over the next couple of weeks. Thank you to Kristen Brophy uh, for being the fairy pod mother and doing a great job uh, editing this podcast, as always. Thanks to Mike O'Brien, who... Uh, was just all in on this idea of continuing to push out episodes and um, it's been really helpful in general. Uh, so good job by you, Mike. Uh, and as I mentioned at the top, thank you to all of the medical professionals for everything um, that you're doing. We, we're, we're indebted to you, so thank you. Um, in the meantime, we'll be, we'll be talking to you all soon. Uh, be well, stay safe.